Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring Chapter 1 of Last Days of Thronus, written by Stuart J. Byrne. Last Days of Thronus is one of the rarest of the fabled science fiction adventures from the golden days of the pulp magazines. It appeared only in a rare 1954 issue of Science Stories and has never been republished until now. After five years of slavery, Garthanus, the Hamerian sword and defender of his oppressed people, returns to find the woman he loves has deserted him and his best friend has betrayed him. Now Garthanus lives only for revenge. But his plans change suddenly when he learns of a plot by Thamus I, the planet's evil ruler, to liquidate the entire Hamerian race. It's a plan Garthanus swears to stop, even if he has to fight his way through every guarded soldier in the palace. And he will. But what can one lone swordsman do when Thamus I is protected by the might of the golden godship, relic of a now lost science? Evoking echoes of Edgar Rice Burroughs and Robert E. Howard, legendary pulp author Stuart J. Burns' dazzling novel goes far beyond mere action to blend swordplay, feats of heroism, tangled family relationships, sexual psychology, social criticism, physics, metaphysics, and even echoes of the Holocaust. This is one of the don't-miss novels from the pulps with overtones of sophistication and scientific thought rarely found there. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Last Days of Thronus. Chapter 1 the golden years are dead and cold and gone are the hamarkings of old when thronus was their own who hears the magic song of old whoever shall gretha behold who held up churnus bridge alone they were singing it now just as he had heard it sung along the great canals not openly, so that they could be identified, but in isolated groups lost from view among the smoldering rubble of the shattered town. The Thronasian guards stalked through the ruins searching for slaves to take back with them, and they pretended not to hear the ghostly murmur of it rising over the land like the voice of a murdered race sounding hollowly out of its tomb. It was a forbidden song, but it could never be stopped, and they feared it. In other days he might have laughed at those imperial egotists clanking pompously about in their battle harness and trying not to appear impressed by the distant warning of the defeated Hamarians. But now he clenched his big fist and was pleasantly aware of corded muscles rippling along his heavy forearms. He hated. But it was more than the mere troops of Emperor Thamus I that he hated. Especially today. The empire and the ramparts fell where Mithoc's ancient temples knell the death song of all glory. Whenever more the golden swell of temple voices will retell great Melthoc's ancient story. 
humming it rather dispiritedly to himself. It was more to steady his taut nerves than anything else. He walked onward, trying to be unobtrusive, which was difficult in view of his apparent size and strength and the convict slave brand on his forehead, cancelled though it was by the neat little cross that told he had served his time and was free. Free? For what? Vengeance? Who could inflict vengeance upon the gods? Or was that the only thing left to sustain him? He had heard much to disturb him, and now he was coming home to find out if the worst of it were true. Durkulus, his old friend and battle companion, co-leader of the revolutionaries, could never have done to him what they told him he had done. He had to find out. Here was the home of Durkulus. It might be in ruins, but Durkulus might be alive or his wife and children. Grimly, he stalked through the rubble streets and tried not to be recognized by the fleeing survivors as they passed him. Yet he heard his name mentioned behind his back. Garthanus! It was always the same. Men, women, and children would hurry through the narrow streets toward him and avert their eyes. Once they had passed, the little explosion of whispered comet would start but when he would glance back at them they would turn their heads away and hurry onward. He suppressed an inclination to grin about it. They were following the pattern of the old days, still trying to conceal his identity from the authorities, yet taking courage by his presence. Well, it was no longer necessary to conceal him. The authorities knew all about him, and he had served his time, although he might have escaped and let Durkula serve. Instead, he had covered him and taken the rap himself, because Durkulus was married and had two children. Garthanus! The exiled race of Hamarians were still saying his name. They hailed him as their chief, their only symbol of hope and pride under the shadow of mighty Thronus. However, the greatest shadow of all was that which had given the Murthark dynasty its power to conquer the house of Hamar. It was a dreaded and hated thing. His eyes narrowed up at it, and again his fist clenched. There it was, like a yellow egg in the sky, waiting for its cargo of warriors and slaves. The Golden Ship. The only link between this little world of Hamardine and great broad Thronus, thrice its size. The golden ship from nowhere that was the home of a metal god who answered only Thamus, the emperor. How fight a thing like that? Garthanus is back, back from the canals. He walks free in the land again. He walked onward, quickening his pace, angered at fate. If only the gods might give him the confidence that his appearance gave to his chosen people. But the wellspring of faith and belief in the promise of life was a pool of dust. Hamar reduced to an exiled colony, his best friend Durkulus, perhaps a traitor to him, and Carthus, she whose black hair was like the curtain that held the stars, with eyes that were pools of night that held the answer to his youthful dreams. Surely the stories he had heard could not be true. He had to find her and take her in his arms again and know that what had sustained him through five years of labor on the canals was still there in her heart. The people who called his name perhaps did not know that the source of his strength was Carthus. Without her, 
Abruptly, a small group of imperial guards burst upon his path from the ruins of a large building. They were pushing before them a group of a half-dozen Hamarians, two young women, one young man, an old man, and two teenaged boys. Following in their wake was a blind beggar-priest, one of those outcast mendicants who worshipped a forbidden, invisible god, Jinthavis. He was muttering strange words after them, which no one paid any attention to. Garthanus stopped in the middle of the narrow street. A tall, broad-shouldered figure, tattered, dark-visaged, battle-scarred. The slave brand on his forehead glistened in the pale light of the distant sun, but his brown eyes glistened with an inner fire of their own as he watched the scene before him. Those refugees who had hurried past him stopped to look back. Those who had entered the narrow street ahead of him paused to see what would happen. There were four guards, sturdy, well-fed emissaries from Muthark. They were beating the older man who tried to argue with them, and his head was bleeding. One of the boys was limping, holding a bleeding knee, but they pushed him onward so that he would fall, and they would kick him, forcing him to get to his feet again. His young mother at his side was crying and trying to help. All the while she called upon her household gods to rescue them. Suddenly she saw Garthanus standing there, and in her desperation she called out to him. She lunged forward, saying his name, and fell at his feet, clutching his legs, begging for aid. Then, just as suddenly, she realized what she had done. In the eyes of her people it was a selfish thing to bring official attention to bear on Garthanus. She caught her breath and looked up at his face, and he looked back at her without expression, with those constantly narrowed eyes which none could fathom. There was a deathly silence in the narrow, dusty street. He looked up at the sky. The golden ship, fortunately, was just out of sight beyond the broken line of the buildings. Hamarian stood at both ends of the street, and there were four guards. They looked him over startled at first, for they had only heard of his fame. This was their first encounter with him in the flesh. Quickly they regained their composure and confidence, feeling the muscles in their legs that were accustomed to a world of much heavier gravity. Carthanus had spent years on the smaller world of Hammerdeen. But they forgot the canals, the years of straining at barge lines and drag scoops. That was a gravity of another kind and Garthanus had been born and raised on Thronus, the greater planet. Moreover, there were certain natural endowments of size and strength and prowess gained in years of battle. But a freed convict slave was on probation. One more violation was death. The guards laughed at him, and the Hamarians hung their heads. So this is the great Garthanus! cried the officer in charge of the detail. The champion of the Hamarians! He spat on the ground and sneered. It is too bad you are not a true Hamarian. Too bad you have served your slave term. It would be good sport to take you back to the palaces of Muthark. Or perhaps he would care to offend us, said another guard, poking his companion with an elbow, so that we'd have an excuse. The officer in charge sobered. He signaled to his men. Come, he ordered. We've no time to stand here and talk to beggars. Whereupon he shoved the wounded old man forward, and they began to proceed onward. But Garthanus stood in their way. 
legs spread apart, staring them down with his narrowed eyes. Astounded, the guard officer stopped, and his men stopped behind him. Out of the way, Harlequin! You tempt me! He drew his sword. Garthanus did not move. Well, have you lost your tongue? Finally, Garthanus spoke, in low, rumbling tones. You will let them go, he said. This might be death for him later, perhaps, but the courage of the people was worth it. They were watching. The legend could not die here in the dust of afternoon. He, as an individual, did not matter, especially if Durkulus had run away with Carthus, taking the revolutionary army's gold. In bitterness and hate, somehow, there was strength. The blank expressions on the faces of the four guards suddenly changed to incredulity, then open amusement. They laughed again. The officer raised his sword to strike. The young woman beside Garthana screamed. Garthanus had appeared to be slow, which was what really disarmed the guards. Now he moved almost too swiftly for the eye. In one flash of movement he broke the arm of the officer and grasped his sword. In the next instant one Thronasian soldier was run through, while the officer screamed with pain, looking aghast at the compound fracture, uncomprehendingly. The ensuing battle was quickly over. He kicked beneath their thrust, parried, thrust, broke them down, and killed them. The officer shouted an alarm, but Garthana struck him a blow across his neck with the back of his hand that broke his voice and choked him. He fell, smothering and bleeding to death. He stood there for a moment, while the young mother kissed his bloodied hand. Then he made a signal to the watching Hamarians, which they knew, of old. The dead bodies were dragged out of sight and covered with rubble inside the broken buildings. The living scattered in grateful silence, refreshed by the living proof of their sacred legend. Carthanus walks again in the land. He walked onward, but he wondered how long it would be now before they caught up with him. The authorities. Or perhaps the eye of the metal god in the golden ship had seen him, after all. Someone had taken the sword from him, for safekeeping. He could not carry weapons now according to law. Behind him, he heard the blind beggar mumbling in his beard. The old seer was following his lonely footsteps, but he ignored the fact. He kneeled in the rubble inside the roofless house, holding Durkulus' wife in his arms and looking upon her dead face. Young, beautiful, betrayed, and left to die. Her two children lay sprawled on their faces, bodies broken by falling beams, gone from the living world. The blind mendicant priest knew, somehow. He was praying almost inaudibly. Garthanus looked up slowly as a man stepped into the enclosure, a dust-covered Homarian. He had been running, and now he was trying to catch his breath. Garthanus, they told me you were here. He got to his feet swiftly and came to the man grasping him roughly by the arms in a crushing grip. His eyes were still narrowed as ever, but his dry lips parted, showing even white teeth, and when he spoke the teeth still remained clamped together. "'Where did he go?' he demanded. "'And where is Carthus?' "'Gone, years ago. It's all true, Garthanus, I swear it. He and Carthus went, and with the money they bribed a passage on the golden ship.' It is said they are on Thronus, even in Muthark itself. 
Garthana stood there holding on to his old acquaintance, penetrating his eyes and his mind and his heart. He knew it was true, had known all along, but he had wanted to have it verified by one of the old school, one who would not have reason to tell him lies. Suddenly he released his grip with a slight shove and looked up at the sky. Still there was no golden ship in sight. He, too, wanted a passage on it, back to Thronus and to the sprawling, power-glutted imperial city of Muthark. But how obtain it without money, and with these glaring scars on his forehead? "'If you need a place to get organized again,' began the other man, but was interrupted by a sign from Garthanus. "'Not now,' said the latter. "'Leave me alone.' The Hamarian hesitated, wistfully. But after reading Garthanus' grim face, he thought better of arguing. He turned slowly and left, quite oblivious to the blind beggar-priest. Garthanus and the beggar stood there in the afternoon. From afar, they heard the continuing song of the Hamarians. The gods looked down, and our alone were Hamon never shall atone for Murthog's deadly thrust. Their dreams of old we too have known, but we are flesh and they are stone, and yesterday is dust. Garthanus clenched his fist hard. The cords of his neck stood out and his lips parted again to reveal his gleaming white teeth clenched together. He groaned aloud, and he cursed, shouting at the sky, The gods are stone and all is lies! Lies, lies, lies! All but one, answered the blind man, who is not of stone but of all things, and of all truth. Garthanus whirled about and grasped the other's frail arms and shook him. "'This, too, is a lie!' he exclaimed. "'What is your god if he leaves you blind, aged fool?' Surprisingly, the beggar showed no fear. He said, "'This is but proof of his greater wisdom. He leaves his servant blind so that he may see the light that shines in darkness.' Garthanus looked at the other's unseeing eyes. He had to admit that some courage not borrowed from legend was buoying his spirit up. "'Give me one truth,' he said to the beggar, "'and I will conquer Thronus.' "'Genthavus is truth!' Garthanus threw the old man into the dirt. "'You lie! There is no truth but power and wealth and influence. Up there in Muthark lies the only truth, power, the sword of might. It is the only answer.' From the dust and rubble, the ragged priest answered, You, Garthanus, are the only sword of your people. Do not desert them for private vengeance. Silence. Garthanus stood there, looking at him, and a Dirkulus dead wife and children, whom he planned to burn that night so that their souls might escape cleanly from the flesh before it rotted and became food for scavenger feather beetles and thousand-legged snakes. "'If your god hides not wisdom only in his bowels,' grumbled Garthanus, "'then let him speak one word of guidance. If I am the Hamarian sword, then let him be concerned and tell me. What shall I do?' The priest was silent, and Garthanus laughed. 
<laughs> Pray to your beard, old prophet of lies. He started away in search of faggots for the funeral pyre, but the priest stopped him. Find you the true mother of your blood, he said, and Hamar shall be free. Carthanus tensed, with an awareness of the hair prickling at the base of his neck. Of all the unexpected, uncanny, you lie again, he argued lamely. I knew my mother and my father long ago. They are dead. He walked away, but the scarred, blind eyes of the mendicant were before him. We hope you enjoyed listening to this sample chapter from Last Days of Thronus. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.